stand-up historian. Those who tell stories rule society. Hello and welcome to a Stand Up Historian. This is another Tuesday edition of a Stand Up Historian with uh, Vic, where she reads from the Chris Thomas's book Project Human Extinction. Uh, you may have noticed that I've been very active over over the last couple of weeks, uh, interviews and also some new contents and material that I put on a Stand Up Historian podcast. But I have to confess to you my favorite part and the best uh, work we have is when I am joined by Vic and we discuss works of Chris Thomas. I always enjoy uh, listening to what he has written and discussions that we have on the site with uh, Vic. I hope you enjoy it as well. And in this edition, she is going to read some more from the book and discuss the Brotherhood of Science, among many other subjects. Please, uh, when you get a chance, visit my website at standuphistorian.com. Submit your questions, your comments. They are always welcome. Thank you again for listening. I have Vic here. I'm very excited after we missed one week, one podcast. She's back. And she's going to take over, and we are going to continue with PHE. Hi, Vic. Good evening, dear, and hello to everybody in the audience. Okay, we left it at, we were chapter four? Chapter two. Chapter two. Yep, I had just covered um, Jesus the Man and Bloodline of the Holy Grail. I was on page 54. Yes. We were we were getting into the very beginning of chapter two, and it gave a Touched on some of the information about uh, Mary Magdalene and her children and Jesus the Christ and all that. And then, of course, the Cathars and the Gnostics and things like that. Yes. So to continue on, I stopped on page 55 after ending with the kingly dynasty and knowledge contained within the tables of testimony. Yes. So moving forward with this. The next heading is Brotherhood of Zion and the Knights Templar. All right, everybody get comfortable. We briefly touched on the Knights Templar earlier, and it is important here to look at both them and the Brotherhood of Zion in more detail as they both feature heavily in many conspiracy theories, commonly in an unfavorable light. They comprise a key part of the Ark of the Covenant, which is also in the planet Earth. The book Planet Earth. In the departure from Egypt, Moses was accompanied by Jacob and a group of those who began to call themselves Hebrews. They finally settled in Canaan. I guess it's no Canaan. Is that how it's pronounced? Canaan, yes. Canaan, Canaan, which in parentheses it's listed as Palestine. Yes. During this during this period, they began to break up into various factions that became the tribes of Israel until they eventually settled in their differences and became united under their first king, Saul, in about 1055 B.C. Saul's son-in-law, 
expanded the territory occupied by the Jewish tribes to include Jerusalem and succeeded to the throne as King David. David was followed by his son Solomon and a great period of enlightenment began. Solomon was renowned for his wisdom, most of which came from access to the information brought with Moses out of the Egypt. And then in parentheses, it says the tables of testimony. With the death of Solomon around 960 BC, the kingdom broke apart and a number of factions fought for control until about 720 BC when the region was invaded by the Assyrians. This led to a period of persecution and the peoples banished to Mesopotamia by Nebuchadnezzar in about the year 650 BC. Following about 70 years in captivity, they moved back to Jerusalem. Upon their return to Jerusalem, there were essentially two factions. The first were the priests who were attempting to take control of the people and bring power to themselves. The second group had the same ideal of unification but wanted to take another route. A dynasty had been established through Saul, David, and Solomon, and this group saw the best route to unifying the people was through the reestablishment of the kingdom. This group took on the name the Brotherhood of Sion, and it was from the Brotherhood that the Knights Templar were established nearly 1,500 years later. The Brotherhood of Sion knew of the time vault beneath Solomon's temple and had found someone who still understood how to open it. Their plan was to access the tables of testimony and freely disseminate the information amongst the people and bring about a period of change, a beginning of the return of the full consciousness into the physical body. The legacy of the Davidic dynasty was the hope of a king, an individual who could reunite people into a single humanity with free access to the knowledge about the truth of humanity's origins and purpose. With such a group of people intact, they would travel to other regions of the world and assist others in their own transitions into full consciousness integration. A process of slow education was begun. The information was copied into a very much watered-down version and distributed secretly to teachers, Kabbalists, and alchemists to begin introducing the basic principles of the plan. This is the reason for the formation of the Brotherhood of Sion. In parentheses, Jerusalem was originally known as Sion. To protect the Ark of the Covenant, and also to act as palace guards to protect the members of the Davidic bloodline with the intention of the members of, with the intention of, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, with the intention of helping to release the information contained within the tables of testimony. In taking on the role of protectors of the Ark, they either took over from or incorporated the Levite priesthood also taking the protective clothing needed to handle the ark. This protective clothing was made from a leather helmet and a full-body apron, both plated in gold and copper together with plated leather gauntlets. These garments allowed the ark to discharge its electrical protective handlers by earthing it. Again, use was made of those who worked with the Kabbalah, which was also a means of helping interpret the teachings within the tables. We will return to the Kabbalah again in the next chapter, together with some of the disinformation that has been published about it.
The Brotherhood of Sion, however, faced a fundamental problem after the fall of Jerusalem in that neither the Ark nor the tables were available to them. To recover the Ark, they formed the Knights Templar. There are several dates suggested as to the formation, the formal formation of the Knights Templar. There was the elite order of the temple formed in 586 BC who knew where Solomon's treasure was hidden so it could be argued that this is where the Templars have their roots. There is also a reference to the Brotherhood of Sion establishing a fighting arm in 876 AD, which was overtly Christian in its beliefs, but whose covert and express purpose was to return the Ark and the tables to the Brotherhood of Sion so they could begin their teaching role. Either way, the Knights Templar were created in order to recover the Ark and enable continuation of the plan to disseminate the teachings of the Tables of Testimony. One thing known for certain about the Knights Templar is that in 1099, a French duke, let me see if I can pronounce this, Godefroy de Bouillon, it's G-O-D-E-F-R-O-I, I guess that could be Godfrey? Godfrey, Godfrey? French, yeah, probably. De, de Bouillon. Hmm. Led the knights in the first crusade to recapture Jerusalem from the Moors. The city was taken and the Templars gained access to the stables under the temple. Using knowledge supplied, the Templars removed the time lock and returned the ark to the Cister, Cistercian, Cistercian? Yeah, Cistercian. Yeah. Yeah. Cistercian Abbey in Clairvaux in France. God, I'm butchering this language. I'm so sorry for the for those <laughs> listening that know French language. Sorry. Yeah. Cistercian Abbey in Clairvaux in France, the headquarters of the bro- brothers Brotherhood of Sion. There has also been some confusion amongst researchers as to the current location of the Ark of the Covenant with a strong rumor leading to Ethiopia. The Ethiopians had very strong connections with Egypt, where they were known as Nubians, although the word Nubian is most usually associated with the word slave. There were others of Ethiopian origins who reached high office in Egypt, the most famous of these being Queen Cleopatra. According to the Akashic, there is a copy of the Ark kept in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle in present-day Ethiopia, but that is all it is, a copy, which does not contain the tables of testimony. The treasure of Solomon amounted to a vast amount of gold and jewels, sufficient for the Templars to become the most powerful and influential moneylenders in Europe. It was the Knights who, in fact, established the first forms of banking and credit transfer. However, the greatest treasure of all was the Ark of the Covenant and the tables of testimony. The first signs of the new knowledge and wealth were the beginnings of the construction of the Notre Dame cathedrals throughout France. Previously, large buildings such as cathedrals, where they were built out of stone, incorporated walls of massive thickness in order to achieve height and had small window openings. With the mathematical information contained within the tables interpreted into a form that could be used for buildings, these new Notre Dame cathedrals were buildings of light and grace with the thickness of the walls greatly reduced and the window areas considerably increased. To further the work of this kind of knowledge, a new branch of the Knights Templar was formed and they became known as Freemasons. Freemasons. Yeah, because they learned the information from 
the Ark of the Covenant on how to build buildings better. <laughs> yeah. The origins of the Freemason can still be seen today with their ceremonial aprons and gauntlets representing the protective clothing originally required to handle the Ark of the Covenant. Ah, okay. The Knights, the Knights Templar also began to make this knowledge available to a wider audience through the Cathar community, which had grown from the community established by Mary Magdalene and her and Jesus' children. The community also spread into the lands ruled by the Mer- Merovingian kings, of mid and southern France who welcomed the enlightenment of their peoples. It is here that we will leave the examination at attempts to disseminate the information contained within the Ark of the Covenant. But before we do, let us reflect that there have been many attempts to reveal humanity's true purpose and potential, which, as we shall see next, have met with much opposition. The Freemasons are also mentioned for the first time and given their connection with the Knights Templar. They have been introduced to show that their original purpose was benevolence. As with much of the conspiracy, things are never this simple, nor quite what they seem on the surface. So for now, let us just say that both Knights Templar and the Freemasons were originally established to carry out a specific role, that of dissemination of the knowledge contained within the tables, It is only in more recent times that their roles have changed and these organizations have become part of the conspiracy itself. All right. Wow. So much to unload here. Oh, yeah. And we're not even halfway through it. Yeah. So, Cistercian, there is a... uh, Society of Cistercians. Is, was that the word you read? Let me back up here. The French. C- it, it, it's C-I-S-T-E-R-C-I-A-N. Cistercian. Cistercian. Cistercian Abbey. Yeah, Cistercian yeah. Abbey in Clairvaux, Clairvaux in France, mm-hmm. which was the headquarters of the Brothers of Sion. Yeah. Brothers of Sion or Brotherhood of Sion and then... Uh, of course, Knight Templars and their connection to King David. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they, it is a known fact that it was Knight Templars that they started the banking system. And they had this tremendous amount of wealth. Does Chris talk about Vatican at any point? There may be some coverage of the Vatican in, in, in this book somewhere or in one of the other books. Um, it, it's not really that prominent. Um, I mean, he touched on it. I mean, he, he will tell you that, uh, the Vatican, aka Rome, aka the Roman Empire used 14th faction energies. That's how they got away with, with expanding so much of their empire and slaughtering so many people. Um, they that the Roman Empire used the same 14th faction energy that uh, Alexander the Great used. Oh, they did. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he <coughs> started by saying that Knight Templars and the uh, Brotherhood of Sion, these guys were not initially the bad guys. No, they uh-uh. started with all the good intentions. 
to give the knowledge back to the people. Well, I mean, you're reaching all the way back to Solomon's temple. Yes. And we're talking about a group of people who knew what was under Solomon's temple, and they went and retrieved it because they knew how it was in a time vault. They knew how to they knew how to take it out, and it was taken for safekeeping because they knew what was in it and they knew what it could teach. And then they formed, um, you know, Knights Templar, and then of course um, Brotherhood of Sion and the Freemasons around it because they wanted to protect the information. Exactly, and. Something very interesting about Solomon is even you read that it was golden age for for the people and that was the best time for people they lived during the uh, reign of Solomon. So in, in Jewish tradition, Solomon, uh, David asks him to pray to God and tell him what you want and when he's asked, okay, what is it that you want the most? Everybody asks for money, long life, and material, materialistic things. He asks mm -hmm. for wisdom. Mm -hmm. And he hears that you are the first one that asks for wisdom. So I'm, I'm going to give you not only the wisdom, but everything else that I gave to others. So he becomes this very rich king at the same time very wise king and there is the proverbs proverbs are what solomon talks about these are his advices to his supposedly to his son that talks talks to him and tell him do this don't do this and, and we also say that he had this ring that was his entire power. The whole world was in this ring. And for having that, he could talk to humans and non-humans. Oh. They would all obey him. Yes. And they will all obey him. You have the character of Solomon in, in Judaism. Let's back up. In the beginning, you said <clears throat> Assyrians invaded Israel. They took Jews. And then 300 years or so later, Babylonian, they invaded. They take him to Mesopotamia again. So there are two different groups there. They stayed for a long time there. When, and everything else is after, after that, that we are listening to here. So there is a huge influence of Babylonian, Persian, religious beliefs, traditions, and culture in Judaism. Mm -hmm. One of those things is Solomon. There's a character in Persian mythology. His name is uh, Jamshid or Jam, just like Jam, traffic jam or cherry jam, J-A-M, Jamshid, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jam. He is the same exact archetype that you see in Solomon. Oh. He has control over the whole planet. He talks languages of birds and animals and, you know, fishes of the seas and seen and un unseen creatures. And you know he rules over everything. You know what you just described? What? A full soul human. There you go. And you, you find that character here and it matches over there. 
And also, Chris mentioned, as you read, that when they came back to Israel, which, by the way, King Cyrus, which is my namesake, he came, he let them go back to Israel. He paid to build the temple. He was the great king of Persians. Build the temple, go worship your God. When they came back, two factions of Jews started there. And you see those two factions throughout the Gospels when they talk about Jews confronting Jesus. And one of them is uh, Pharisees, which is Farsis or Persians. These were Jews that they came back with Persian traditions of Judaism. So there is, these two are so entangled that if you continue your research and go a little farther back and deeper, you, I'm sure we will find even more uh, in common between what happened in Persia and what they learned from Persian magis, mm -hmm. entered it into religious books, traditions, and it came through all the way uh, and obviously through the Knight Templars and and today's today's uh, events that we see. I don't want to say uh, if you ever watched that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I've never seen it, but I understand it's good. You have to watch it. <laughs> the 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 bride the bride is Greek, and her father is Greek, and he says everything is started in Greece. Everything is started in Greece, right? <laughs> so I sounded like the father of the bride. Now it is started in Persia, but that's a fact that it's so ancient, and it inherited. Civilizations of Assyrian and Sumerian civilizations, Babylonian civilizations, Persians inherited all of that. Not to mention, they had this connection, deep connections with Hindus, which mm -hmm. go back thousands of years. Oh yeah. So it was it was such a fertile environment to grow different religions, different school of thoughts. Uh, different system of worship, different gods and all that. And having Jews in there, it's perfect environment for them to grow. The oldest Torah, which you call it Old Testament, Bible, is it, even today you find the oldest Torahs in Iran. Even today, they have Torahs from 2,000 years ago. So I'm pretty sure that there's there's probably some stuff that's 2,000 years old here in the U.S., but it's being hidden. Uh, of course. No question. No question. And a lot of uh, initiatives that Persian took, like building roads, you know, royal roads of Persia was famous, sort of like highways of today, or a postal system that King Darius started, and, and a lot of different things. So these people learned it, and it moved from east to the west, and Jews were a huge factor in taking the knowledge from the east, from all those past empires, which you see uh, all collected and inherited by Persians. They learned it. They, they returned to 
Israel, and from there everything else starts growing and and moving. Even when you see Mitra, which is another god in Persian mythology and Mitraism, Mitra matches perfectly with Jesus. When he was born, he was born of a virgin, the date he was born, and all those things. So there is that influence that these cultures had on each other. And I could see, as you're reading that, I could see that, yes, this too came from there. And Chris mentions that not directly by saying this region or that region is more focused on people than regions. But Mm -hmm. I I could hear all of that. Mm -hmm. There's there's definitely going to be some bleed over. It's just like when I was reading in this book a little bit earlier about how they said all of these things that the Greeks claimed that all of the information that they had came out of the Greek area where... This book clearly re- reflects that there were uh, things that people were doing in the north of Scotland and, you know, the telescopes exactly. and, and working with uh, um, geometry uh, thousands of years before the Greeks did it. So there's yeah. there's it, it's like the information seems to have zigzagged all over the planet, depending upon what the different groups were at the time, because, I mean, we've exactly. we've. Yes. We've we've visited this planet and left and visited and left several times for various reasons. So each time, you know, there's going to be information in groups and then it sort of moves on or something happens and then the information is transferred somewhere else. And it usually leads back to the same place. So it, it does not belong to one group. So now when we talk about hidden knowledge you can see that different groups of people had access to that. They tried to disseminate this information, distribute this information. They were stopped. It moved to another area. Another group of people tried to do that. And and we see this attempt. It's like watching a, a soccer game. I have the ball. I'm trying to you know score, but the fence comes. I had to pass it to another player, and that player needs to, to go on. And then there is a... distraction to that and he passes to somebody else so knowledge belongs to humanity and it just moved and over thousands of years different cultures different groups of people flourished they withered they're gone but they did their share to either protect the information or provide the information to another generation so it exists and we can find those we can find that information eventually a soccer game. That is a perfect description, how you zigzag and toss something here and toss something there. Yeah, that's perfect. Not to mention, too, what you also have, and this is the perfect example of where the Bible is concerned, translations. Mm-hmm. I mean, you take the Bible itself and you translate it Latin to Greek to you know English it, or Italian or something yes. like that. And that's where... That very thing is where I discovered about Lucifer being a mistranslation. Everybody seems to think that Lucifer is the, the fallen archangel and blah, 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 and it's the same thing as Satan. It's all been twisted completely out of shape. Now, yes. I can't remember exactly which direction they were going in. I don't know if they were going from Greek to Latin or Latin to Greek. It, you'd have to dig and find out. The earliest Bibles, were they originally done in Latin and then translated to Greek, or were the earliest Bibles written in Greek and translated to Latin? I'm not sure. But Hebrew, I Greek def- and then Latin, yeah. 
Well, I definitely remember reading the part about the translation problem with the word phosphorus. And the translation problem between Greek and Latin, whichever direction, translated phosphorus into Lucifer. Yeah. And that's where the term came from. There is no Lucifer. There is no fallen archangel named Lucifer that's going to take over or send everybody to hell and it's the same person as Satan. No, all of that has been twisted over time. And going back to it, because you were asking me where it was of um, with the with the death of Solomon around 960 B.C., the kingdom broke apart and a number of factions fought for control until about 720 B.C. when the region was invaded by the Assyrians. That's where I mentioned the Assyrians. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Assyrians. Yeah. But yeah, it also in the paragraph before that stated, it said David was followed by his son Solomon and a great period of enlightenment began began. Solomon was renowned for his wisdom, most of which came from access to the information brought with Moses out of Egypt. It was the tables of testimony. So, I mean, he he lived and breathed what was the information about the human plan and and ruled very, very fairly, known for his wisdom. Very good king, very wonderful king. Exactly, exactly. He was. And he's admired among uh, Jews, of course, Christians, even Muslims. Mm-hmm. Even Muslims. Well, they every, consider him the a roads, prophet of God. Yeah. All the roads lead back. Exactly. Because I guarantee you that if you read from, I guess it's the Quran. Yes. Or uh, the which is the Jewish Bible? Torah. The Torah. And then, of course, uh, a Bible. You're going to find that there are pieces of information in there that you'll go, oh, that sounds very similar to what's in this book and in this book. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I have I have been blessed to be able to read all three books. Okay. I read Quran like like a Muslim reads it, like an Arab Muslim. I can mm-hmm. read it. Not understand it completely, but I can read it. I can read Hebrew, Torah, Bible, and of course, the English. And similarities are staggering. It's mm-hmm. like we talked about. The story starts, it stops, next one picks it up, adds something to it, and can, it keeps what was in it. Maybe a little bit of adjustment. For instance, if you... If you look at the stories in Torah or Old Testament, as Christians, they call it, then you see the same stories in Quran. But because they change the geographical areas, instead of talking about uh, olive trees and what's common in Israel, they talk about dates, um, palms, and they change the animals like they changed the donkeys to camel, but the story is the same. Yeah, exactly. They, they localize this story, but it's still the same. It gets to a point that Jews come to, to Prophet Muhammad and tell him that, hey, you are telling the same stories that we've been telling for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. How do you claim that you, you are a new prophet? Say something new. They challenge <laughs> Muhammad. It's, it's, yeah, they have a day. In Islamic uh, tradition, they have a day, day, I believe they call it 
Mobahele, which is sort of like a debate, right? That day they come and they debate. I'm not sure what the whole what the whole story is, but basically Jews come out and they had powerful, powerful businesses and uh, ruling class in Mecca at the time. The Jews, they mm-hmm. come out and say, "Hey, what are you talking about? You keep saying you're a new prophet, but all the stories that you're telling are our stories, and you still claim to be a different prophet." We are professionals in recognizing prophets. We have thousands of them, okay? We have this we have this prophet detector. Okay? We can put it on you and tell you whether you're a prophet or not. But I mean they had it's this like kind a po- of, what is it like a polygraph test? <laughs> exactly. So the, the question to them was, okay, you guys corrupted the teachings. Listen, this is important because sometimes based on a lot of politics that gets into religions, different regions, we dismiss the whole culture and religion and all of that. Oh, but yeah. What Muhammad tells the Jews is, you corrupted the teachings that was delivered to you. He even tells them that you were the chosen people of God. He gave you the gift. You corrupted it. You changed it. I am here to tell people the the truth about those teachings that you lost it so if wow. you if you push this fog away and just listen don't listen to the politics or anything like this just listen to that and listen to the conversation and what we're talking here mm-hmm. you say hey maybe he had the he had the teachings back at in his possession and his objection to Jews was you corrupted everything. You even wow. find Jesus in Quran, right? And uh-huh. he was born of in Quran, they uh, Jesus is called Isa ben Maryam. Maryam is Mary, Isa mm-hmm. is Jesus, Ben means son. Jesus, son of Maryam, Jesus, son of Mary was born from a virgin. So all those things, they kept it in this new religion, dominant with billions of people, what, 1.2 billion, 1.5 billion, whatever number of people believe in it. And it never dismissed Jews or Christians. The only claim that Muslims have, if you talk to them, they tell you that, First of all, they say, you are people of book. So I respect your religion. That's the first thing they tell you. The second thing is, the objection is, your leaders corrupted your religion. Our prophet came to make things right again. Wow. That's their version of, if you debate with Muslims, this is the first thing they will tell you. Yeah, see... Every single bit of that, to me, is like puzzle pieces. It's it's it one is. great big giant picture, and the puzzle pieces are coming from different areas. Or, if you like, a tapestry. There are threads all over the place, and you weave the tapestry, and you get the full picture. Yeah. It's why, I mean, 
having been raised in Christianity and then, of course, Southern Baptism, there's a whole lot of things that have been twisted out of shape because of politics. And you want to see some splintering, you should dive into the Christianity because there are so many splinters in Christianity. It's just unbelievable. And the one group doesn't like what another group is preaching or how they're preaching it or when they're preaching it. And then they all split off and create their yeah. own Christianity. I mean, it's just absolutely mind blowing. And I learned at a very young age. I mean, God bless my maternal grandmother. I loved her to death. But her primitive Baptist ways were they were hard to explain because some of the things that she did and she said, when you questioned her on them, she didn't really have an answer. And it was like, well, that's not for me to know. And oh, I was like, I yeah, okay, there's a little something wrong with that. Because if you don't get clear answers from a religion, then there's something wrong somewhere. Something's written wrong. Something's been twisted out of shape. And I learned at a very young age, it's like, okay, it's time for me to keep an open mind when it comes to this religious thing. And then, of course, my head exploded whenever I found the Chris Thomas material. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, so that's what's going on. Okay. Even if you return to Christian, to religious view of things and just keep an open mind without any animosity towards any of these religions, you will find the, that the thread that goes through all of them. You don't need to dismiss anybody. You just need to listen to them because you think about it. You see, they established a huge civilization in their turn. Mm -hmm. Jews, Christians, Muslims, they did all of that. And their mo motivation was in the name of their God and their teachings. And everybody has something to bring to the table, even if Absolutely. it's from another, di another direction. Absolutely. When, what, what we call dark ages in Europe. There was the Enlightenment ages in the East where Muslims, they established their empire. Mm -hmm. So you can't discount some. The only common thread is my people, the Jews. We always existed. I was working on an article and I saw, oh, my God, wherever you go, we've been there. You can't say that about Christians or Muslims or any other group. But it seems like we have always on the sides, you know, on the fringes of the society. Jews always, they've been there doing, minding their own little business and going at least on the surface. And at the end, they come out on top. I don't know. I don't know what the secret is, to be honest with you. But you see the traces of uh, Judaism, Jews, different factions of Jews, different forms of uh, worship across the human history for thousands of years. And it mm -hmm. influenced influenced people, cultures, and some, a majority of that has always been economically. I could not argue that point whatsoever. Yeah. Especially with what I know about the uh, about the um, about Rome and the Vatican using the 14th faction energy and the, the questions about uh, the New Testament being just written to turn Jesus into a savior. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that took place as far as Roman Christianity is concerned. 
which has nothing to do with Celtic Christianity, which is a whole different subject. And that's something that we'll probably cover at some point, because mm-hmm. that also has to do with uh, Jesus and his brother. Um, we'll, we'll get to that explanation sure. later. because That's sure. a whole different issue. <clears throat> they're pretty ancient, too. <laughs> it's just that, oh, they are. They were, <clears throat> that, that gets into the, the Celtic Christianity, which uh, I've forgotten how far back that goes. That's that's ancient. That's very ancient. The Knights Templar also began to make this knowledge available to a wider audience through the Cathar community, covered that with Mary Magdalene and her and Jesus' children. The community also spread into the lands ruled by the Merovingian kings of mid and southern France mm-hmm. who welcomed the enlightenment of these of their peoples. It is here that we will leave the examination attempts. Oh, yes, I have moved forward into opposition. Now I found my place. Sorry, folks. Okay, opposition. We have looked at how there have been attempts to spread the truth throughout the ages, yet we live in a world where this information is little known. How can it be that such important information has been withheld from the mass of humanity? The short answer is to control us. Armed with this truth, each of us would surely reject those who seek to limit our free choice. Religious leaders, politicians, etc. would not have had any hold over us, and we would have selected leaders who would have helped us on our way to freedom and reintegration of the higher aspects of the soul. In fact, we had access to the kind of information contained within the tables of testimony, if we had the access, we would surely have completed our part of the human plan centuries ago. So to take and hold power, the truth has been withheld from us. Our next questions are by whom and how. To answer these questions, the first place to start is with Roman Empire, as I just mentioned before, and perhaps more specifically, the Roman Catholic Church. Note here, though, that whilst these are two of the most obvious candidates, we learned in Chapter 1 how everything has an energetic cause. So whilst we will see here how physical events have unfolded, the next chapter will cover the energetic force behind this opposition. Then we move into the Roman Empire. The local background, the political background against which Jesus was born was turbulent, to say the least. The key dates, in parentheses, explained in the next chapter are 333 B.C., when Alexander the Great began his rise to power by conquering Persia, Egypt, Babylonia, and Punjab. Then in 264 BC, the Roman Empire began its immense rise to power, notably using slave labor. In 63 BC, the Romans marched into the Holy Land, eventually taking control of Judea, Jerusalem, Syria, and Palestine. And in in parentheses, it says a full examination of the Roman Empire is outside the scope of this book. So we will just focus on the aspects that are relevant to our subject matter. He covers it in more depth in in previous books. Uh And we'll, we'll get to those later. Before Jesus was born, Herod was appointed the Rome, appointed by Rome as king of Judea. And this is in quotations. He had converted a form of Judaism, but was not born of the Davidic secession. Herod's authority was confined to Galilee, since Judea was actually governed by the Roman procurator at Caesarea. I hope I'm not butchering this. Yeah, Caesarea. Caesarea, okay. Between the two of them, the regime was harsh in the extreme, 
and more than 3,000 summary crucifixions were carried out to coerce the population into submission. Prohibitive taxes were levied, torture was commonplace, and the Jewish suicide rate leapt alarmingly. This was the environment into which Jesus was born, and that's closed quotes. The teachings that Jesus and his disciples practiced were in conflict not only with the Romans because of the concept of the divinity of the emperors, but also with, in quotes, the Jews' own governing body of legal elders, the powerful Sanhedrin Council. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think I pronounced that correctly. And that's in closed quotes. Indeed, it was ultimately a combination of these two forces that led to Jesus' crucifixion. Those who followed the teachings of Jesus were subjected to particular persecution by Rome. Also in quotations. By the middle of the second century, the original Nazarenes, in parentheses, the followers of Jesus and James' teachings, that that, that part's in parentheses, Mm -hmm. were unpopular not only with the Roman authorities, but were being severely harassed by the Pauline Christians, particularly by Irenaeus, Bishop of Lyon, born in A.D. 120. He condemned them, de- condemned them as heretics for claiming that Jesus was a man and not of divine origin as ruled by the new faith. In fact, he even declared that Jesus himself had himself been practicing the wrong religion. And that's that's in quotes. And well, actually, the quotes continue. Wow. In AD 235, the Emperor Maximus declared that all Christian bishops and priests should be seized, their personal wealth seized, and their churches burned. The captives were sentenced to various forms of punishment and slavery, including penal servitude in the, the lead mines in Sardinia. On arrival, each captive would have one eye removed, and the left foot and right knee damaged to restrict movement. The the men were also castrated. By the time of Emperor Decius, Decius, in A.D. 249, the Christians had become so rebellious that they were proclaimed criminals, and their mass persecution began on an official basis. This continued into the reign of, oh, I'm going to butcher this word, Diocletian? D-I-O-C-L-E-T-I-A-N, into the reign of Diocletian. I guess, I hope I don't butcher that. Who became emperor in A.D. 284. He dispensed with any vestige of democratic procedure and insisted on absolute monarchy. It was ruled that all Christian meeting houses be demolished and the disciples who convened alternative assemblies were put to death. All church property was confiscated by the magistrates. The protection of Roman law was withdrawn, and those who argued with the edicts were roasted alive over slow fires or eaten by animals in the public arena. He, Galerius, governor of the eastern provinces, I hope I haven't butchered that either, ordered that anyone who did not worship the emperor above all would be painfully executed. That was all in quotations. So this is Roman Empire you're reading about. Uh-huh. AD yeah. 235, yeah. AD 249, 284. Yep, going through. So all of this that I just read came just before the section that said, before Jesus was born, Herod was appointed by Rome as king of Judea, and this is what he was born into. 
Oh, I see. Okay. And then, of course, the section here, the teachings that Jesus and his disciples practiced were in conflict with not only the Romans, but because of the concept of the divinity of the emperors, but also with the Jews' own governing body of legal elders, the the Sanhedrin Council. So, yeah, they had all kinds of problems there. Clearly, Clearly, the Romans saw that the emperor held ultimate power over all and certainly did not see Christianity taught by Jesus and his followers in the same light as the Romans had traditionally seen other religions. The Roman tradition was that whenever they annexed new territories, the existing religions of the people was honored and very often added into the Roman pantheon. With the Christianity of Jesus, the situation was very different and seen as a threat to the power of Rome. It was the Emperor Constantine who eventually created the Church of Rome, Catholicism. In AD 312, he was victorious in battle, proclaiming the, that he had seen a cross in the sky and that his victory was connected to this to his vision. After summoning senior members of the Jesus Christian Church, He effectively annexed the church to Rome, and hence it became the Church of Rome, but based on the teachings of Paul rather than the teachings of Jesus. Constantine saw his empire beginning to crumble, and in order to maintain his power base, decided on the idea of a new, all-encompassing religion as being the way to reunite the empire. It is also interesting that despite his visions and construction of a new religion, Constantine did not convert to his new Catholic church until he was on his deathbed. So he remained Roman to the heart until he died. I just want to interject something here. Oh, yeah. If I may. So Constantine was actually very smart. If you look at the history of Rome at that time, most Roman generals and, and top soldiers and top brass they were following the religion of Mitra. Okay. okay. You and mentioned Mitra, that earlier. Yeah. And Mitra is Persian. It came from Sassanid dynasty in, in Persia. And the concern was these two uh, supposedly enemies. They were not enemies because sometimes you see a Caesar is the godfather of uh, king king's son in Persia. Mm-hmm. And they they used to give their daughters and sons, and th- there was a relationship between the t- between the two. But Constantine was concerned that he could not accept a religion like Mitraism, which is dominant religion in his rival superpower of the time, to be religion of his land. So he was looking for something to replace it. They were never into religion. They had this this pagan beliefs in Zeus and that pantheon of gods that they oh, inherited yeah. all, from. All of the Roman gods that they've Exactly, and the they created Roman gods. So he <laughs> yep. found Christianity a perfect religion. He found it, okay, this is perfect for my purpose. I can create re- our own religion. And that was the reason he ended up accepting Christianity even when you read the books, read the stories about how he put all these bishops in one room, he locked the door and said, you guys stay in there, you come out when you have a book for me. Because there was all these writings all over the Christian world, different people writing about Jesus, different beliefs, different teachings. So he needed to unify them. Yeah. 
So he brought them all into one place. He created Christianity. He established Christianity. And Rome became one of the pillars of Christianity because, of course, the emperor, the Caesar was there. And that's how Constantine, in a way, separated East and West by using Christianity. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to interject that that piece from a Persian point of view. And, and it's important to understand that Persians and Romans, they were in wars for many, many years, but at the same time, they had still relationships. There were Romans living in Persia. There's a lot of stories of those soldiers and different peoples. They live there. There are places in, in today's Iran. It's called Roman or Rumi, stuff like this. And Constantine caught that connection. Hmm. The relation, rather. Interesting. I love how all of this is woven together. It is. And you see, the best part I love is I'm coming to this from an Eastern point of view. You are coming to this and you bring the material from Chris, which is a Western point of view. Mm -hmm. And when we come together, sit down and talk, I think it's perfect. I love these conversations. I hope our listeners find these conversations as interesting as we find it. And if we make mistakes, please remind us so we can correct. I I certainly hope so. Um, Yeah. I've I've never spent much of my life particularly religious about anything other than just what I was exposed to as a kid. Mm-hmm. So I like to think of myself as sort of an open conduit. There you and, go. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and when it comes to the books of his that I own that are, you know, except for two of them now completely out of print, I want to make sure that I assist in getting more information out there to complete the picture. And I hope it helps everybody. That's my whole intent. I want to help everybody. We, we, we don't have the full picture yet, and we need the full picture, and we need to know that it has been purposely hidden from us. Exactly. And we have one common enemy. It doesn't matter where we are, what's our background, who we are, or anything. As humanity... We have one common enemy. Am I correct to say that? It's a group of enemies at this point. <laughs> a group of enemies, yes. A group but of enemies. There, there is this, there is them, and there is humanity. Mm-hmm. That's how I see it. Luckily for us, the 14th faction energy is gone, so nobody can use that to take away uh, freedom of choice. That's been removed. So that's a that's a sigh of relief right there. The VLON, the VLON question as to whether or not they're still here and causing problems, that's still up for debate. And, and of course, our group, you know, we're all still talking about mm-hmm. that. So we're going back and forth on that one. We're hoping that they're not here and that their influence is just what's making things happen the way it's happening. But either way, there is a small cadre of people that want to run this planet and they want the rest of us off of it, dead and off of it. So, yes, we do have a, every single one of us do have a common enemy. The problem is we don't have all of the information. So fighting said enemy is like, you know, fighting with one arm tied behind your back. Very true. 
So that's yeah. why I'm here, and that's why I'm trying to disseminate the information from the books. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for giving me a platform. I love the way Chris puts these things. Mm-hmm. And it's the important thing is we all need to learn. Learning is extremely important because we're talking about knowledge at the end, right? So we need to learn. And the way he presents these things, he's a great teacher. Well, he was a scientist. He was a healer. And the fact that he was an Akashic reader and knew how to get in the Akashic and ask the right questions and get at the right pieces of information. I mean, the I would have to put him at one time being in the same category as Jesus. I mean, I know that probably will freak some people out, but you have no idea how powerful Chris Thomas was at one time. I mean, he had the ability to read a human body like an MRI. He could look inside your body and see what your problems were and work with you energetically. He could tell you what your soul origin was, and then he could go into the Akashic and read information and then put it into print into the books and give us a true history of what's going on, what he could mm-hmm. get at because the, you know, the Akashic is enormous. So, I mean, I know that's a leap. I know that's going to freak some people out because Jesus himself was a full soul human and he did many, you know, many wonderful things. But at the same time, I have to step forward and say, you know, Chris Thomas was a full soul human, too, for a short period of time. And he was a very powerful. He was at one time a very powerful man. So as far as I'm concerned, from the information and from what I can see and what I have studied over the years, he's pretty much in the same category. Category of great teachers. And. Jesus' apostles, they call him rabbi, which means teacher. And Chris mm-hmm. is a teacher. And he's well, teaching Jesus, and helps people. Yes. Jesus, Jesus also healed people. Yes. There you go. Yeah. He was also a healer. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, to me, the comparisons are just we are just talking about two full soul humans that did, they be, did their best to teach the proper information. And that's what actually matters. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm and I'm not trying to make Chris Thomas into a god. I'm not trying to make him into a religion. He would laugh if I'm if sure he, <laughs> if he heard this and said that I was comparing him to Jesus, he would probably laugh himself completely off of his own chair. I can I can <laughs> just about hear him. But because of what he's done, and in comparison, you you can draw comparisons to both men and what they have tried to do. Jesus was strapped to a cross because of what he was trying to do and what he was trying to teach and the people that he was trying to heal. Chris has been attacked just as brutally. Both survived. And if you remember, this is ironic, a Jew quoting from Jesus. He said, every day you have to carry your own cross. And that's what Chris has done. If I'm looking at if what you're saying, from a Christian point of view, I would say he's following, at least he's a very close follower of uh, Christ and at the same levels. Yes. And didn't he say at the end, you always sit on the throne with me? So here we go. We are explaining, <laughs> rationalizing. <laughs> I hadn't heard the uh, you sit on the throne with me part, but I like that. Yes, he said that. He said, when, when, yeah, when we meet in kingdom of heaven, you all will be sitting with me. Yeah. 
he's of course sitting on the big chair and everybody else on the sides but i think i'll find the verse for you uh, and I tell you, I, I have learned more about Jesus and what he actually did in Chris Thomas's books than I ever did in anything that I was involved in in Christianity and Bibles. Exactly, because he's focused on Jesus, the person, and his yes. teaching and what he did and why he did what he did, not a religion. He stripped all everything else from that and says, OK, here is the man you mentioned. You, you brought up the word Paulian. So Paulian is, Paul never met Jesus. He never saw Jesus. He has the biggest part of New Testament. His writings. That's hmm. why a lot of people, they call it Paulian. Not Christian. Yeah, well, it states here, after summoning senior members of the Jesus Christian Church, he effectively annexed the church to Rome, and hence it became the Church of Rome, but based on the teachings of Paul, rather than the teachings of Jesus. Exactly. And then the New Testament comes out, and they turn him into a god for all the Christians to worship. And it's like, he totally twisted everything out of shape. Long, long millennial <laughs> to build things you know they had a lot of time so just give it enough time and it will happen just give it enough time well this was an amazing conversation i really enjoyed it packed with information we talked over each other shared a lot of extra stuff on the side and i hope that listeners enjoyed it I certainly hope so, too, because there is so much more to get to. You're doing a great job by reading this. As always, well, thank I you appreciate very much. it. Yes. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, too. And I appreciate your interjections, too, because you add more substance to what it is that I'm reading from another perspective. And it helps. It helps a lot. I hope it helps. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, Vic, another great edition with you as always and thank you for patiently reading the book for us <laughs> and thank you for listening to me stumble across words and butcher languages <laughs> i understand it's french it's french you need a, a special size of nose to be able to pronounce words perfectly in french <laughs> my apologies to all the french people listening. <laughs> well i have a small nose so maybe that's what my hindrance is <laughs> and I don't have a Jewish nose. Sometimes people say, are you sure you're Jewish? You don't have the hook. I'm like, I'm I'm, I'm a 100% positive. Here's my DNA test. <laughs> it's been okay. great, dear. Likewise. Thank you. Take care. Have a good night. You have a good night, too. And we will chat up next week. Next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.